This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. School is out and that means many children will be spending a little extra time with grandma and grandpa. Between negotiating with demanding parents and figuring out how to bond with grandkids, being a grandparent these days can be a tough gig. Today we'll get tips from multi-generational expert and author Dr. Karen Rancourt. Plus, photographer Yori Deutsch recently returned to his grandparents' home country, Slovakia. Camera in hand, he documented the unique and beautiful artifacts he found in a Jewish school that was abandoned during the Holocaust. We'll talk to Yori about this journey in just a few moments. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's something we've known for a long time here at Zoomer Media. Sex doesn't stop just because you've gotten a little older. According to the results of a survey published in the latest issue of the Annals of Internal Medicine, the majority of women over 60 who are either married or living with someone are sexually active. Women who were married or living with a partner were eight times as likely to be sexually active as those who were not. And a full 59% of partnered women over 60 have regular sex. U.S. researchers have discovered promising results from an experimental Alzheimer's medication. Drug maker Eli Lilly says early results from a large study set to end in late 2016 show that solanazumab might slow mild Alzheimer's if taken early enough. The death of brain cells in Alzheimer's is currently unstoppable, but the drug may be able to keep them alive. In clinical trials, mental decline slowed by about a third in patients with mild Alzheimer's who took the medication. Current drugs, like Aricept, can only manage the symptoms of dementia, but they can't slow the progression of the disease. You can imagine how scary it would be, showing up at your elderly parents' care home only to discover they are nowhere to be found. That's what happened to Tony Sellers in Northern Ireland. Fortunately, his 79-year-old mother, Sadie, was A-OK. She had just snuck out to get a tattoo. Sadie Sellers says she was inspired to get her own tattoo after seeing her 22-year-old granddaughter's new ink. With the help of her granddaughter, Sadie took off from her care home and headed to her local tattoo parlor. She says she was in and out in no time and ended up with a little red heart on her upper arm. If I were a rich man, the world has lost a passionate artist, actor, and singer. Theodore Bikel passed away this week at the age of 91. 
Bikel was a Tony-nominated actor and performer whose passions included performing folk music in more than 20 languages and political activism. He played Tevye more than 2,000 times in stage productions of Fiddler on the Roof and was the original Captain Von Trapp when The Sound of Music premiered on Broadway in 1959. That role brought him one of his two Tony nominations. Bikel received an Oscar nomination for his 1958 portrayal as the Southern Sheriff in The Defiant Ones. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's a photographic memory from a place where time stood still. In 1942, three-quarters of the Jewish population of what is now Slovakia were deported to concentration camps. Yuri Deutsch's grandfather was among them. Many years later, he returned to his ancestors' home with his camera. He found an abandoned school with thousands of holy books, including one belonging to his grandfather. The result was a beautiful book of his own called Last Folio, A Photographic Memory. Yuri dropped by our Liberty Village studios. Most images are images of old praying books, which survived by miracle since World War II. And those books belong, they used to belong to a Jewish population of Eastern Slovakia. Most of them didn't return, and we just find the book by pure serendipity. How did you come to be there and find the books? The project started many years ago when my father passed away, and at his funeral I met an old lady who I tried to help to get away from cemetery, and in about, I asked her why she's so much in a rush, and she told me that when she was in Auschwitz, she promised to herself that she's going to help people who have nobody. So she took me to visit some of the people she was going, she was visiting, and I started taking photographs. And that's all what I was doing, taking photographs of survivors. My mother was still alive, so I was coming to Europe quite often. And to do something, apart from being with my mother, I went with this lady, and years later we come across, we were still photographing survivors, when in some old small town, a guy knocked on the door and said, please, people, please come, I need to show you something. And he took us to the school where we found those books. And what was this school? This was abandoned, probably boys' schools, boys' school before the war, where the boys were learning religious uh, matters or whatever matters. We didn't know too much about it, but we were just, we didn't have too much time. We look at the school, we look at the books. I was just smitten by the beauty of the old decaying books. And I was begging producer to let's stay here because this is just incredible. She said, we don't have time. So I did as many pictures as I could. And when I returned to Canada, I called her. I said, listen, I have to go back. She said, why? Those books are just too much. I feel that I didn't do a right job, what they deserve. I have to go back. How was it abandoned? Well, okay. during the war, half of population of that town was wiped. So there was lots of empty spaces. Most of them were taken away. Living spaces were taken by people from villages. But this particular place was not, because there was no really purpose to it for another people. And government, I think, forgot about it. All the Jews in that town were rounded up on a particular day, so yep. there would have been students in that school. They just around the people. Sometimes they put them to schools and synagogues, and then from there they transport them to a rail, railway station, and from there they went to concentration camp. So 
they would have all left this place on the same day. Yes. I was hypnotized, to be honest. I just sort of, I'd never been in that kind of feeling before. Till then, I was doing commercial photography, fashion photography, but I never was smitten by the subject matter as much as I was here. And many times I, I tell everybody to leave the room because I need to be alone. You start actually talking to the books because they, they become like people and you, you're sort of feeling like you're building a, a tombs for the people who didn't return. And you found a very special book there. Well, that was later, not in this particular place. There's another town which have a books. Now, that was the town where my father came from, but the last thing in my mind was, you know, that I find something close to me. They tore down a beautiful synagogue in this town called Michalovce, and they gave them a little tiny house. So apparently there was five or six old men took all the books from the main synagogue and take them to this little tiny house. So when we arrived, the whole house was full of books. And the uh, producer was putting books on the floor, and each of the books have a stamp. And she said, Yuri, I never talked to you about your family. Can you tell me what was the name of your, let's say, grandparents? I said, why do you want to know that right now? I said, I'm just curious. She said, my grandfather's name was D uh, Jacob. And what job was he doing? I said, he was a tailor. And then she passed me this tiny little book, five by seven inches. I opened the book, and there's a stamp, Jacob Deutsch, tailor, a uh, woman's tailor, the lady's tailor, uh, Michalovce, which was the town he was from. So, first I was just stunned. I just couldn't believe that she could, from thousands of books, she had to pick up this one. So, here is the book of my grandfather, whom I never met, and who most likely died in Treblinka. And that's, that's all that left from him, is that one book, I started this project not really be interested in anything to do with war and my heritage. I end up finding my grandfather's book. So what do you mean you started the project not being interested in the war and your heritage? You were photographing Holocaust survivors. Wait a second. I only did it because I met that lady. Okay. On that note, I think we'll wrap this up. Thank you so much, Yuri Deutsch. It's a beautiful book. Thanks. I've been speaking with photographer Yuri Deutsch. His new book, Last Folio, A Photographic Memory, is published by Prestel. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. What does it take to be a good grandparent? These days, it might be more than you realize. In just a moment, I'll be joined by intergenerational expert Dr. Karen Rancourt. This time of year, many grandparents will be spending a lot of time with their beloved grandkids. It's a wonderful opportunity to forge bonds and memories that will last a lifetime. But between the grandchildren, the adult children who are parents, and the elders, there's also plenty of potential for conflict. I got some advice from intergenerational expert Karen Rancourt, also known as Dr. Grandma Karen. 
I think the major pitfall when we have the intergenerational gatherings is that the grandparents are feeling very experienced and oftentimes are giving advice or acting on their own in ways that can often seem to the young parents to be uh, kind of overpowering, overwhelming. They may even feel at times uh, that the, the young parents may feel they're being judged or criticized because the grandparents are doing things that are a bit different from what the parents would prefer them to do. The other side of that is that many times young parents are overly sensitive and are, are quick to take offense. Now, um, are there some examples of, of uh, flashpoints? I mean, is it over sleep time? Is it over treats? Is it over what happens uh, if, if the child acts out a bit? Uh, yes, yes, and yes. It is often over a food. The grandparents uh, may tend to be overly generous with the, with the treats. Often it's not about a chocolate chip cookie. It's about uh, a young parent feeling disrespected. The chocolate chip cookie becomes a symbol for the young parents perhaps feeling disrespected and the grandparents feeling that the, the young parents are being overly rigid and need to be more flexible. But what do you say to young parents in this case? Um, the grandparent says, look, uh, you're dropping the kid off at my place for five hours. And by the way, I raised three children who turned out okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give my grandchild a donut if I want to. Uh, I think these are the kinds of conversations that need to happen beforehand. Remember, the grandparents aren't in the driver's seat anymore, and boy, are they used to being there. It's the young parents in the driver's seat, and the grandparents get to spend time with their grandchildren at the pleasure of the young parents. So if the grandparents want to maintain easy, accessible relationships with the grandchildren, and this is a, a big if for many grandparents, they need to see themselves as passengers in a vehicle being driven by the young parents. I'm talking about setting up some kind of a, a dialogue that isn't coming from a, a place of uh, anger or intimidation, but rather one that is looking for overlaps and ways to accommodate. And if the parent says, no, absolutely not, we don't want our kids to um, have donuts at all, then the, uh, the wise grandparent will adhere to that. And if you're in a process such as verbalizing the baby and the grandparents say it just is emotionally impossible for us to do that, then the young parents have to decide if they need to defer having the grandparents uh, take charge of the, the baby at that particular time. This week there was a huge hue and cry over a, a case where a, a restaurant owner disciplined a two-year-old who was screaming. Mm -hmm. So, first of all, my question is, are, are, um, it seems to me that standards might be different. Uh, I'm not a grandparent, but uh, when people my age were having babies, it, it seems to me that if the kids started screaming in a public place, they would be removed. You'd walk mm -hmm. out with them. And it seems to me that these days that's not the case. 
all too often you are absolutely right. And although I understand the, the frustration of that restaurant owner, uh, I think uh, perhaps a, a better uh, course of action would have been to approach the parents and ask them if they uh, could please take, take the child outside. How does a grandparent uh, get the kids uh, to lift their heads and get off the phone or the device and interact face-to-face? Well, I think this is an area where when the young parents and the grandchildren are in the home of the grandparents, where the grandparents are perfectly justified to say, at our dinner table, there will be no no devices because the grandparents aren't saying no technology they're just putting some boundaries around where it is acceptable uh, in their environment with the understanding that when they go to the young parents home the texting at the dinner table may well indeed be uh, not only permitted but sometimes the young parents are the worst offenders okay Dr. Karen Rancourt, thanks so much. My pleasure. Dr. Karen Rancourt is an intergenerational expert and author of the book, Ask Dr. Grandma Karen, Savvy Advice to Soothe Parent-Grandparent Conflicts. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. One of the biggest rock stars of the Zoomer generation, or any generation for that matter, is celebrating his 72nd birthday this weekend. Coming up, we'll hear one of the many hit songs from Mick Jagger and the rest of the Rolling Stones. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, Tony Award winner Daniel Sullivan directs the Shakespearean fairy tale Cymbeline. It stars Lily Rabe and Hamish Linklater. Cymbeline is at the Delacorte Theater in Central Park. In Los Angeles, an exhibition called Tongues Untied features works made during the AIDS crisis of the 1980s. The works explore desire, love, loss, and mourning to engage and question sexual and political repression. It's at the Museum of Contemporary Art. To London, England, where a stage production of Seven Brides for Seven Brothers is inspired by the 1954 Oscar-winning film. Seven Brides for Seven Brothers is at the Open Air Theatre in Regent Park. And in Paris, a new exhibition explores the link between prostitution and modern painting and includes works of Manet and Degas, Splendor and Misery. Images of Prostitution in France, 1850-1910, is at the Musée d'Orsay. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Book. This weekend, Mick Jagger, the frontman of the legendary rock group The Rolling Stones, is celebrating his 72nd birthday. Since the early 60s, Jagger has been considered a rock star, a fashion icon, and a sex symbol. As he heads into his 73rd year, he's doing so as a true Zoomer. He still struts his stuff on stages around the world, singing the songs that made him and the rest of The Rolling Stones household names. Right now, we'll travel back 50 years to the summer of 1965 and hear the Rolling Stones' hit song that was number one on the charts. Here is Satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. 
That was the Rolling Stones with I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Frontman Mick Jagger is celebrating his 72nd birthday this weekend. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Nyman. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Bandry. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.